Welcome to The Creator State, where we share stories of social innovation and entrepreneurship for movers, shakers, creators, and changemakers. Each episode will celebrate success and failure, ingenuity, and the endless pursuit of knowledge, from education to implementation. Join us as we explore everything in between. The Creator State. So what's your favorite song? I imagine it's hard to pick just one. Mine is Sometimes It Snows in April by Prince, or maybe Alpha and Omega by Israel and Newbury. Even our guest today, Waka Nwusa, has a hard time picking just one favorite in one music category. Growing up in a strict household listening to mainly gospel, Waka says she received most of her early music education through her own curiosity, after asking friends about what was popular on MTV. Today, Waka has managed the enviable feat of making music the guiding theme of her career. According to her, the road to curating music history, first at the Grammy Museum in downtown Los Angeles, and now at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, Ohio, began at UC Riverside. The first in her family to attend college, Waka says her experience working in the UCR Fine Arts box office got her foot in the door at the Grammy Museum. Starting in the box office, then joining its education department, and later becoming its curator. In 10 years, she conceptualized, researched, and produced more than 20 exhibits for the museum, including Legends of Motown, All Eyes on Me, The Writings of Tupac Shakur, and Hip Hop, A Cultural Odyssey. At the Rock Hall, Waka hopes to bring a broader range of artists into the fold including those many traditional rock and roll fans might consider outside the genre's boundaries, especially more West Coast hip-hop. Join us for a conversation with Waka Nwusa as we discuss her career ascent in music and her new role, and as we put her on the spot about her all-time favorite songs. I'm your host, Rekirby Hines. Welcome to The Creator State. I want to begin by um, asking you to Tell us a little bit about the evolution of your career. For me, it it starts, actually, it does start at UCR. That was the moment, and I will never forget where I was standing. I used to work at the, in the Fine Arts Theater, uh-huh. and I worked in the box office there. And I remember the former box office manager handed me an application because he was always, you know, looking for, a, you know, a new gig or something like that. And he mentioned this place called the Grammy Museum. And at that time, you know, my focus was still very much like on the IE, like this is what I'm going to do. I was substitute teaching at Brockton Elementary School. And he said, no, here's this application. I think you would kick ass at this job. (laughs) You could just take it, get your foot in the door. And I started off at uh, working in the box office at the Grammy Museum. Now, mind you, my mom is from the South. My dad is Nigerian, um, very much, oh, you know, you're going back into the city. We just moved, we had moved out of Compton right. um, when the riots happened just because they did not want us growing up. So that's how we even got to Fontana. At this point, I'm like, you know what, Walker, you are about to graduate college. You need to take this opportunity and move back to LA. And without consulting parents and getting too many people involved. And I feel like that's how a lot of my life altering decisions happen when I just make it an insular, like this is you, me against the world. Okay. Taking Tupac here, but like, this is you against the world. What do you want to do? And I took that application and I 
have not regretted that decision ever. I often think like, hell, what would my life be if I didn't take that application? And mind you, I started off in the box office part time. That that was really the turning point in my career, just taking a leap of faith, not knowing exactly what the plan was going to be uh, or the roadmap and just taking a dive into music. And I knew that it was something about music and uh, this career, this job, like, OK, well, it has to be, um, you know, it has to be entertaining. I mean, it's the Grammy Museum. So what what do I have to lose? If it don't work, you know, I still have my job at um at Brockton Elementary. I feel like, you know, this was my first career. Even though I was working in the box office, my my job, our team was so nimble. So some of the things um, that I had to embrace and always kind of growing up, being, I mean, I went to a small church. I grew up in the church. Tell me about the church because gospel, gospel was a presence at home. Tell me about this. Yes, gospel was everything. I mean, I knew nothing of secular music. I mean, when The Chronic came out, I was listening to it in a bathroom stall with my friend on her CD player, Walkman. Talk about how you went from gospel as that foundation to once again looking at other forms of music um, in the way that you, you had to in order to get to this place that you are currently. Well, I feel, and and this is coming from my place now with the understanding that I have, is that, I mean, gospel, period, is the root. Yes. Um, Is the undertone for everything from blues, I mean, maybe a little bit of jazz, but blues, jazz, I mean, rock and roll, especially um, R&B. You can't get to any of that without talking about gospel music and that feeling, that sensation a feeling gospel. It's not just the sound. It's it's a movement. It's 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 a moment. Yes. Um, so to feel these different moments that I felt as a young child growing up in church, um, I feel like that feeling, feeling the spirit and being in the spirit and all of those things, like to find some some subtle nuances of that in other genres and whether it's the music itself or the story itself, that's a hallelujah moment. Yes. I feel like that's where I'm, that's what I'm drawn to because of those experiences. I feel like that has kept me humble and it's kept the humility of the work there too. When I write what you just expressed, when I write a play or a screenplay, what, mm-hmm. what my goal is, in my writing is to take an audience to that place where I've seen gospel take congregations at its mm. at, at its apex. Mm. And mm. so when, mm. when you said that, that's that's what my aim is because you can't you can't manufacture those moments unless they're no. happening genuinely. No. Absolutely. That's it. I mean I recently saw um, Amazing Grace when it was here in Cleveland at this cute little theater and I was crying. I I went with another museum colleague uh, for Cleveland Museum of Art, and I'm just singing the song. I'm like, dang, because I know these songs. And to see Mr. Cleveland, Reverend Cleveland up there, I'm like, I've never seen him in this way. I've heard this man's voice. I mean, it's just like you said, the feeling, the story of all of this, it it just brings it to life. And this emotion that is so genuine, you can't even, I mean, you can't fake it. There's no way you can duplicate that 
that kind of emotion. No, no. That when, when you say the word museum, we have certain connotations that come to mind. How do you know when an idea is worth pursuing when you are deciding what projects to take on? You know, sometimes you have the choice <laughs> uh-huh. um, and sometimes you don't. I want to keep that real. Sometimes you do have a choice and sometimes you don't. I've been blessed to be privileged to have enough, a, a decent amount of opportunities where I've made those decisions. And when it is that decision, it is so it is it goes back to that gospel moment where you just feel it in your whole gut. Like if this is. I can't be the only person who knows this. I can't be the only person who like, and if you ain't thought about it, then I definitely want to bring it to the forefront. It's that kind of like, this is too good to be held in a room or to be in a closet somewhere and no one can see it and no one can at least talk about it or, or be introduced to it for the, how many ever 13, 14 weeks we're going to let this exhibit run. Yes. One of my first exhibits I did at the Grammy museum it was my first exhibit I did at the Grand Museum, which uh-huh. was on hip hop called Hip Hop A Cultural Odyssey. And I tried to cram all that I could <laughs> into this exhibit, but it was so many good nuggets. I'm like, you know what? Let's go and let's talk about the things that we don't know. Like uh, Melly Mel and Shaka Khan's uh, collaboration was the first ra- uh, R&B and rap collaboration to ever win a Grammy. Like that's some dope yeah. Like we should be talking about that side of the story, not just the brilliance of who Melly Mel is and yada yada, but let's highlight some of these spectacular moments in music history and not just black music, but just music history that, that are riveting and they're telling to like why we are where we are now. Um, I did an exhibit series uh, called Legends of Motown uh-huh. and each section was like celebrating the Supreme, celebrating uh, the Miracles. I didn't get to my third one because I moved to Cleveland. Um, but it was going to be on The Temptations. But again, with The Miracles, people don't realize, you know, there was a female in that group. And it wasn't just Smokey Robinson in The Miracles. Right. It was like, this was the foundation of what Motown was. There would be no Barry Gordy if there were like no Miracles. Truly. Wow. So again, like to skip to all the way to The Supremes and The Temps and Mary Wells and all these prolific names, it's like, there was a foundation. These folks are living, and especially when I'm encountering living legends, folks who are still walking among us, and that same old saying that I got from church, you know, give me my flowers. Give these folks their flowers. Let's talk about them. Let's get the history right. And that's where, that's what drives my passion. Let's get the history right. We can speak to the actual people who are here. Um, let's, let's really change the narrative in that way. I'm not, as a curator, it's not just my job to come up with this way or even you as a writer as a um a playwright to you know to create these stories but we have to validate them as well can you talk about what role education whether formal or informal has played in in your life in in your career and where you are currently oh my gosh it it's so critical to everything i got my training I feel like from my pastor, yes, um, from my teachers who I still, if I still talk to my middle school teachers and if I could find my elementary school teachers, I would talk to them too. But <laughs> since middle school all the way up through college, I literally talked to Dr. Walker on Monday wow. or this weekend, you know? So I'm like, I, I, because these are, teachers are so critical and you're going to make me cry at some point here, but they are so pivotal 
to to my life and to who I am. Um, like I said, my dad came to this country. Both of my parents did not go to college. They had some other training, some vocational training, whatever. Um, so I was the first in my family to go to college. So I gravitated towards my teachers. Um, things I didn't know, like what the hell is a FAFSA? Um, how do I fill <laughs> this out? Um, you know, but, but educating, even like I said, from the church, I, because I went to a small church, it was learning self-confidence on a whim, you know, walk it, get on up there and sing a song, go yes. sing a solo. I'm going to need you to do a, um, impromptu. I need you to give a little sermonette for the youth yep. until the passage is here. Um, <laughs> Walker, can you lead our youth choir or I'm going to do a praise dance. Oh, ladies, can you guys do a dance right now? Yes, right now. Um, so these moments prepared me, I feel, for what life is. Life is not a planned uh, organized booklet that you follow minute to minute. Things are flying at you fast and furious. And church taught me that straight out of the bat. I mean, at a very young age. That is that is so interesting that when, you know, I'm asking this question about education and, and you went directly to the church and the type of learning that you gain in, in that space. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Whether you can do it or not, and then it's, in an environment that's supporting yes and whether it's constructive you're gonna know if you did bad or good because it goes back to that that feeling that the congregation gives you but in my formal training i switched my major over to sociology when i was at ucr Uh i was originally um a law and philosophy philosophy law and society major i didn't grow up from a collegiate family so all of these things, being at UCR and taking these courses, I was like, it's sucking it up, which is one reason I kept my books, because I've gone back to read some of them, actually. Like, wow, that's what, now this is what this means in my phase of life. Yes. This education sticks with you forever. So to someone who is like, well, I'm tight on my money. Hell, you couldn't have been tighter on money than me, or probably <laughs> someone even worse off. I had four jobs in college. Um, and still maintained a decent A grade uh, average, but I I needed I needed all of that. Um, it, it's it's worth it. Knowledge is power. Truly, these things no one can take away from you. And here I am in my thirties now, still going back to books that I had at eighteen. Can you walk us through that process very, really quickly of you going from from a sociology major to now being a curator like what were the steps what were the things that you learned or how did you get from that place to where you are now where you are at the ape you know really at the top when it comes to uh, uh, museums this is wild to even think that and so I and I'm not even looking at myself like that at (laughs) all so I appreciate you even saying that um my first boss, his name is Bob Santelli. He used to be the executive director at the Grammy Museum. Uh-huh. So I'm chugging away, selling tickets in the box office. And he was one of those guys that would work on the weekends, you know, was in the trenches with his staff. We got get talking. He used to be a professor at Brown University. So again, another teacher. And I told him about my major and some of the things that I was passionate about and took a chance. Um, at that level, again, it was, there were whole, a whole bunch of factors that go into this. So this could be a side conversation, but um, the economy was bad. We had to lay off our staff and the door was open for me to move into our education department as an wow. education coordinator. 
And we're like, damn, now I get to do this with music? Okay, <laughs> this is insane. This is, I never thought I could teach in a music museum. Wow. This is absolutely amazing. So I'm having to research and do right and do all the stuff for curriculum. He sees this and is like, hey, we need to diversify our exhibits. I need a hip hop exhibit. I need a rock and roll. I'm like, well, hell, I'll do a hip hop exhibit. Now I know I, I'm not <laughs> the, but I know some people who are and definitely can dig in the story. And that's where that professor, again, back at UCR, helped me to realize, girl, you're a sociologist. Like you, you love, you know, just the, the observation of people and understanding how societies and people work together. And then bringing music into that. Oh my God. It's just like music truly is the fabric of who we are as people. It's the fabric of our lives. Are you facing any new challenges and, and how are you, how are you approaching those challenges? Whether it's just dealing with different energies in an office. Now, I, like I said, I just moved to Cleveland. I've been here now a little over five months. Uh huh. Um, moved here in the dead of winter. And so that was a challenge in itself, but I felt like it was another it was another Riverside moment for me. Like, you know what? We're just going to free fall and do this. Yeah. I don't have no family here. You know, whatever. It's not necessarily a challenge. It's an experience. Yes. So I, you know, so that's how I've embraced most of my challenges as an experience. A couple last things. Talk about the creative process. What is your, what is your creative process when you have made a decision on something you're going to work on? Um, it is different. And I have to accept that it's different so I can get out of my own way. Uh -huh. I think that's an important part of the creative process um, and to keeping that at the forefront. Like this is, it ain't about you. Um, what is this story trying to tell you as well? Um, and doing my best to try to listen to or be open to, you know, what an artifact can be. Huh. Uh, what What is the storyline? I mean, it, it. there's so many different paths because I've, been very blessed and thank God for having different sort of uh, experiences with different artists. I mean, coming from like the museum world where I'm looking for artifacts essentially that are going to speak out to help um, enhance the narrative. Um, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you can find things in boxes in a garage under a blanket. Uh, you have to be open. You can't be. And so that's been my thing. Just to completely be open to process. Um, but I will definitely, what I can't, I, what I can control as far as, you know, being a nerd and reading my books on the weekends and foregoing the concerts and whatever, <laughs> or just, you know, listening to the music, listening. And I mean, I will listen to every single album Wow. Um, or listen to an entire album, read and see who was performing on these albums. What is their role? I mean, I'll go in a deep, dark hole, just the typical things. But when it comes to creativity, it really, in, in listening to music, um, I try to immerse myself. I just try to immerse myself to the point where I, I don't know what, what it is or how to explain it, but I, I don't know. I feel like those artists, once you go that deep and make connections with family, I mean, it's interviews. It's like I said, it's connecting with so many people. I had a really dope call today speaking with, I mean, I've had, I've met a Fanny Shakur. I did an exhibit on Tupac. Wow. Um, Love Tupac. Sure. But was obviously too young when he, you know, when he was killed um, to have it 
reverberate in the same way like Nipsey Hussle's um, yes. murder yes. has um, for me. But to be able to immerse myself so much in a project, that's where it goes to me. It's like age ain't nothing but a number. And that was a challenge going back to that. Like, oh, well, you're young. You didn't live through this. It's like I had to live through it to tell the damn story. <laughs> I don't have that's a that's a challenge that I had to get over. And that that will be one of the challenges I will I will say to whoever the millennials will be listening and undergrads um, listening to this podcast, you don't, don't let age be the deterrent to what, what uh, holds you back from your passion or you, you know, being intimidated by people who've been in the industry longer or have different resources. And I'm sure there could have been, and I know there could have been, seven other people who could have done this exhibit on Tupac, but it was me wow. who did this exhibit on Tupac <laughs> and Afeni Shakur loved what I did. And I mean, and she blessed it. And I said, and that trumps any educator who calls themselves an expert Afeni, the mother who birthed this young wow. guy, that's the woman who's blessing this and saying Pac will be proud. I, I had never I didn't imagine that I would be in this position that I'm in now. Did not imagine that at all when I first signed that contract at the Fine Arts Theater that I would be a curator <laughs> of two big music museums in this country. Yes. Um, and and to do that, but it's putting in the work and having a taste of humility. I mean, that it, it, it really goes a long way. Like, it, I worked in the box office, you know, and did picked up trash off the floor and peeled off vinyl off the wall like no job it was above me as oh well you're the this and like you know like my my passion goes for the longevity of what these stories are meaning whatever it takes by any means necessary whatever I have to do yes then that's what I'm going to do and that's the drive that needs to that's the kind of drive and passion that's going to help you know this next generation when they're approaching challenges not to run away from them because it ain't happening too fast but to dig in it because that's what builds character it is always a valuable learning opportunity to take time to reflect at the end of each interview we like to ask our guests this in hindsight what is something you wish you would have known when you were starting out Whatever it has been, um, I, I don't wish that I would have done or known anything right, right. any different. I mean, because the relationships out of me not knowing have groomed me and have built relationships because I didn't know I had to then ask so-and-so. I feel like all of those things have made me who I am. Nice. I, the not knowing in those moments have helped me to be who I am. Walk, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to, to to you know come back to us for a minute absolutely thanks for having me I, this was an honor join us for our next episode when we talk with photographer and artist chris jordan about environmental advocacy and his ucr arts exhibition intolerable beauty exploring the consequences of mass consumption and global plastics pollution Thanks for listening. Find more information about our guests at creatorstate.com. Do you know someone creating something great? Send us what you're creating for a chance to be featured in an upcoming episode. Write to us at creatorstate at ucr.edu. There's a team creating this podcast. Help us by subscribing on iTunes, SoundCloud, 
or wherever you listen. And while you are there, leave us a review. Our producer for this show is Jennifer Merritt, with audio and editing by Chan Moon and Kevin Williams. Digital strategy by Kelly McGrail and Madeline Adamo. Designed by Chrissy Danforth, Denise Wolf, Brad Rowe, and creative director Luis Sands. Special thanks to Christy Zwicky and Jessica Weber. This show is brought to you by the University of California, Riverside. I'm your host, Rekirby Hines. Thanks for joining us in the creator state. Gospel songs, you know, what's that one song? You know, for me, it's the Potter's House, and it's um, it's uh, for praise and worship, it's Alpha and Omega, um, Israel and New Breed. It will definitely be Mississippi Mass Choir's Amazing Grace. Uh-huh. They bring me to tears with that, that version um, of their song. 